Hello there, and welcome to Film Raw here at Bunkerzilla UK. It's the place where we digest the latest movie news and movie reviews. I'm one host, of course. I am Ian Bolton, and I am joined, as always, by my cinematic partner in crime. It is, of course, Christian R. Allen, who, who has coffee. I do have coffee. Caffeine coffee, might Caffeine I add. Caffeine coffee, which means I will, throughout the show, get faster and faster to the point where you thought you were playing a nice gentle video game something like i don't know minecraft is that a gentle game i'm not sure i'm not sure anyway it ends on sonic the hedgehog 3 <laughs> every, every, every video game just ends up with you playing sonic in some way doesn't well, it's it? because i'm still collecting the chaos emeralds uh, how many have you collected two <laughs> that's not true I, I 100%ed those bad boys many years ago uh, anyway how are you doing actually keeping on video games um, my life is being consumed by Super Mario 64 it's uh, 1997 all over again I've got <laughs> I've got 33 stars so far I can't beat the bloody penguin and the slide race uh, if you, did you play 64? I've, I've played bits and pieces of Mario 64 uh, never kind of really heavily got into it yeah. but Obviously, there was the classic things like grabbing Bowser by the tail and just flinging him around the place. It's a pain in the arse. Yeah. You, only, you, you miss by one pixel and it just goes off a complete different direction. Uh, and then there's the um, and then there's the big giant bomb, 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 King bomb, King bomb. Sorry, the big bomb. Yeah, big bomb. There's also a big fromp who's sick of people walking all over him. He's <laughs> he's a sentient pavement. Mm. Um. <laughs> yes, I forget that level. And I remember um, I have played a lot more of Mario Sunshine on the GameCube. See, that's the interesting thing, because not get, Super Mario Sunshine is kind of the, the black sheep of the Mario family. And I, I'd i imagine there's going to be a lot of uh, reappraisals of this mm. game, because it, I don't think it impressed many people when it first came out. I think the big problem was that it was, it was a sequel to 64, which was so popular mm. and so impactful in the industry. And yeah. That, alongside Ocarina of Time, which was produced effectively by the same people at the same time. I don't understand how they make those two games at the same time. Mm. They're probably the greatest video games ever made. So you go from 64, five years pass, and then you're given Sunshine, which is a radically different game in some respects. Mm. I, I, I think, yeah, I do recall being an air of disappointment at the time. And then Galaxy sort of restored Nintendo's reputation. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So have you played Galaxy? No, I've not played Galaxy. Out of the three games, I'd say Galaxy is probably... I think Galaxy is the closest to art a video game can get. Okay. Uh, 64 is, for its time, perfect. And Mm. definitely... It's the first truly great 3D video game, in my opinion. Um, Some people will probably go, Doom! (laughs) Doom! And I was just like, no, 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 64, Mario 64. <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to playing Sunshine again, just to sort of reevaluate it for myself. Mm. Um, was there a second Sunshine game? No, but there was a second Galaxy game. And this, ah, has, been, this yeah. has been an area of contention for the internet. Mm. Never mind the fact that we've got these free, wonderfully ported games. Mm. People are like, well, where's Super Mario Galaxy 2? And it's a fair question because it is an equal to Galaxy One. Yeah, true. But my understanding is the that there was it was a very stressful experience for the um, the producers and the developers. So oh, okay. It might just be um, might just be a bit too much of a, a open wound for the uh, developers to mm. sort of like. Um, I don't know. I can imagine it being um, an unlockable at some point, maybe. Oh, just like, hey, well, Nintendo, give us a ten, and you can have the other game. Like, yeah. yeah, well, it's like the um, it's like the Halo Master Chief Collection. Basically, they released it many, many 
years ago and it was like yeah, it was like there is like the original three games and only halo one and two are remastered and then as it got more and more uh more and more halo games were getting added to that collection it's like okay odst there you go you want halo reach you can have halo reach do you want halo 4 have halo 4 one halo 5 we'll put halo 5 in there <laughs> what about infinite no not yet it's not even ready yet <laughs> you, get, you get square enix so like you want you want final fantasy 7 sure 10 years later here you go. <laughs> but don't worry, it's only a third of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's strange because a lot of, we've got friends who are Final Fantasy fanatics. I've I've yeah. I've dipped my toes into those waters. I enjoyed mm. nine. I can appreciate seven for what it was and clearly the impact it had as a game. Very yeah. similar similar era and very similar impact to sixty Mario sixty four. Yeah. It's just I've never been able to connect to it. Mm. Yeah, it's just not really been for me. But I, w- I will give remake a go. Yeah, I think I think if I have time, I would give it a go. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like Final Fantasy. I I accept. I, I don't accept. I I appreciate the lore it has built. I appreciate the fandom that it has created. I I would love to get into Kingdom Hearts, but finding the right place to start with Kingdom Hearts is pretty hard to begin with. To- I've I've tried. It. Kingdom Hearts is my partner's favorite game, mm. um, and. She's got the remastered collection. She's effectively got every Kingdom Hearts game now in like in a modern console. So mm. I've got no excuse. But oh, I'll wait for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of movies, as we are a film show, yes. we've got a bad habit of talking about video games. My yeah. apologies, our faithful listeners. Um, Advent Children. Yes. <laughs> it's, um, it's the only video game movie I'm aware of that is actually not strictly a video game movie it is the final cutscene to the game released in movie four yes because it all happens after the events of final fantasy 7 doesn't yeah, it it feels like I, I watch it and i feel like i can press x to skip <laughs> it's, I mean, like, it's a very pretty like four it was what 2004 five yes it was, it was, that, it was a, definitely around that time yeah i i thought the CGI animation was stunning at the time. Mm. I believe it's had a bit of a touch-up since. Yeah, so, well, I think it, I think it got remastered when it went to Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I remember thinking this looks gorgeous, but the story was incomprehensible to me because <laughs> I hadn't finished the game. Um, I remember watching Adventure on a fifty-five mil print at one of the Sci-Fi London anime all nighters. Oh, cool. And I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> But it was still entertaining nonetheless. It was like it was basically one long action sequence that just happened one after the other. It's, it's a cutscene. Yeah. It's a, it's a post end boss cutscene right? <laughs> that happens to be 90 bloody minutes long. It's like the ultimate cutscene. I, I, I do get annoyed at modern video games that are just for like, they are more than 50% cutscene. Like, yeah, true. Yeah. true. What was the game where you, you press to press X to. Um, to um, show your respect. To no, no, it's press uh, press F to show respect, and that was Call of Duty um, <laughs> Advanced Warfare. I it's thought, the one I with Kevin that, Spacey. I, oh, oh, gosh, that hasn't aged well. Has mm. it? I thought that was a joke. I thought that was like a parody, <laughs> like someone had knocked up. I didn't realise it was an actual part of the game. No. See, it's the problem. The worst as- aspects of cinema have influenced video games, and the worst... Aspect of video, worst aspects of video games are influencing cinema. Mm. There's this awful, um, um, it's quite crap synergy between the two in- industries over the last 10 years mm. or so. And like both industries need to learn that you adapt books 
books are what make um uh, what make um video games and uh films good mm. you know um uh, left for dead the, the developers for left for dead they they actually just read a ton of books on the plague oh, okay yeah to sort of like um the black death mm. in order to sort of like influence their the work and it definitely shows all right and then you play something like grand theft auto they've just watched goodfellas too many times <laughs> <laughs> it's just Goodfellas just in different iterations throughout GTA 4 GTA 5 I don't understand yeah. GTA 5 there's going to be a PS5 release of it yeah that means they're just milking the same cow so didn't G- GTA 5 came it out PS3 game, was a PS3 really? game then PS4 so this is a game that's crossed like several console generations Skyrim's going to be the same as well bloody hell yeah. well in fact is for people if, if that game is it's still enjoyable. Why concentrate on a Grand Theft Auto 6? That's true. That's I know true. a lot of people would like a Grand Theft Auto 6, but I think <laughs> it'll be like uh, Red, Dead, Red Dead Redemption 2. You'd have to wait a while. Red Dead Redemption. Isn't there a movie of that in the works? As well? No, not oh. to my knowledge. Oh, not to my knowledge. Be, I mean, there's a movie. There is definitely... We're hearing more news about the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, have you gotten more news about the Super Mario Brothers well, it's movie? Just about, it's going to be... It's going to be... It is CGI. Yes. Um, so it is, it is Illumination Studios, but I don't get the impression they're actually in charge of the creative aspect of it. I think they're just... Basically, it'll be handed a script and say, right, go animate this. Yeah. I kind of I kind of like that because <laughs> from my previous discussions, you know, Super Mario Bros, the greatest video game movie of all time. I can't say it without laughing. It's so bad. It's so bad. Do you know, when the, going back to Phil, uh, going back to this show, actually, one of the co-writers of Bill and Ted wrote the Super Mario Bros movie. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't remember which what? one. Yeah, we you, you have to do a bit of research. They also, yeah, I can't. Hang on, let me get my notes up here. Really, yeah. really prepared. Uh. Edward Solomon. Yeah, he he. After Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, he he wrote Super Mario Bros. Do you know what film he wrote after Super Mario Bros? Surprise me. A good film. He wrote Men in Black. Oh, yeah, he wrote the screenplay for Men in Black. The only good Men in Black film. The, the only good <laughs> Men in Black film. Yeah, not bad. Okay, so how do you go from writing Super Mario Bros? So how do you go from Bill and Ted to Mario Bros? To Men, to Men in Black. Black. Yes. <laughs> right, so our cinematic week. It's all about the movies that we've been watching outside of the main reviews. So, uh, Christian, how many's on your list this week? Three. Uh, Three? Yeah. Okay, I've got four. Ooh, you win. I win. What do I win? <laughs> you self-satisfaction. You get to power that car from The Simpsons. Yes. I right. can putt around. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you're just in a tiny golf buggy. It's, Ooh, it's, your it's massive like, frame. No, it's like the Simpsons joke of you think it's funny that I drive <laughs> oh, a small oh, automobile. <laughs> Obligatory Simpsons reference. Oh, that's, the pulp, that's the Pulp Fiction episode, isn't it? Yeah, 27 22, short. 22, 22, 22 short. 22. Yeah. I love that episode. <laughs> anyway, why don't you kick us off? Uh, I can't because I've just got steamed clams stuck in my head now. <laughs> a steamed ham. Aurora Borealis. At this time of year. Day. At this time of year. Localised entirely into... Let's move on. Um, <laughs> I watched the Simpsons movie. No, I didn't. No, you didn't. Um, what's the first film I watched? Oh, yeah. So I, I, as some of our listeners may be aware, I've been jumping into Paul Thomas Anderson's filmography. I try to get through one a week. Um, I've been impressed with what I've seen so far. My favourite movie of his at this point is definitely Magnolia, which I would recommend. Um, his follow-up feature, which I really appreciated because it was only 90 minutes long, mm. it was Punch Drunk Love. Oh, and yes. I remember the buzz this had when it first came out because that was when I started 
doing like film studies at college mm. and I remember everyone talking about you've got to see this movie because back in the early noughties everyone loved Adam Sandler I don't think he'd quite burnt out um, um, the appreciation most people had for him by that point because he is a lot of his film roles since have been grating yeah um, but you know I mean, around that period, he had made some entertaining comedies. Obviously, we had Happy Gilmore. It was Billy Madison. I love those movies. Little I mean, Nicky. Billy, yeah, uh, yes, Little Nicky's fun as well. I mm. mean, those they are they are dumb movies, but they're endearing. Especially yeah. Happy Gilmore. I, I I think that still stands up today. Actually, mm. um, it was never going to win an Oscar. But no, I mean, of course it, not. No, no. Before it was, I think it was very good. And Ben Stiller's cameo is an absolute bastard like evil warden for the old folks home makes mm. me laugh every time <laughs> it's like only ben stiller could make the abuse of the elderly fun so well done there um yeah this i remember so i remember at the time adam sandler's performance being quite a revelation because people realized oh he can act mm. i mean not, it's strange that people would think that he couldn't because what he's doing in in his sort of usual adam sandler shtick it's still a performance. Well, it's just a very specific type of character acting. I think this is the this is the thing. I mean, with a lot of comedy actors per se, I think a lot of people typecast or stereotype them into being that, comedy roles. Yeah. So you look at Robin Williams, you look at Steve Carell, you look at Will Ferrell, you look at Will Ferrell, and then everyone suddenly seems completely shot the moment they do something entirely different. So for Robin Williams, it was one hour photo or mm. insomnia uh, for Good Steve Car- for St- or Goodwill hunting uh, for Steve Carell. It was Fox catcher. Yeah. I want to talk to you about your future. <laughs> oh God, that is such a creepy performance, I, but it's I brilliant. I was generally quite disturbed by him. Yeah. He's very good in Big Short as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then Will Fell has done a couple of uh, drama performances. I think uh, there was Stranger Than Fiction, which was comedy drama based. Yeah, it was definitely, he was playing a straight role. Quite, I think that film's kind of fallen off the the sort of cultural zeitgeist. Like. There, there is also Everything Must Go. Where I'm he, not familiar with where that. he's playing a, a guy who's just been divorced. He's trying to bake heads or tails of his life, so he decides to sell everything that he owns and just has a massive yard sale. Yeah, and it's just him just trying to cope with divorce and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. it's still a comedy drama. It's it's still elements of comedy, but there's more focus on dramatic sides, I suppose. Yeah, and I think it's like you're saying about Adam Sandler. Everyone at that stage was so into Adam Sandler being. Like playing the, Adam playing, Sandler, this, yeah. playing Adam Sandler comedy yeah. roles. He, he, that character hadn't outstayed its welcome at that point. Yeah, yeah. And that's and then obviously by the time we get to say a bit further along in time, obviously the, this year, Uncut Gems, which I think he. Yeah. So watching Punch Drunk Love, I just for years I've assumed that he was nominated for Best Actor at the Academy Awards. Nope. Yeah, because <laughs> it, it was famously snubbed this year for Uncut Gems, and I, I think since we started this podcast that. It's been the best performance I've seen, I felt I've seen in the movies we've watched. Mm. And yeah, it's a strange one. I don't understand why the Academy would like snub him, Um, especially in Punch Drug Glove. He he plays a very different character in that, Um, a bit more of a um, emotionally, um, uh, an emotionally underdeveloped, um, very quirky character who's clearly processing a lot of um, a lot of issues, um, and it's very endearing, very uh, very compelling character as well. The film is quite surreal. Mm. Um, it's it's unlike anything I've seen of Paul Thomas Anderson's work so far. I mean, have you have you watched it yourself? Are you familiar um, with the plot? 
I am familiar of Punch Drug Love. I properly haven't watched it, but I have seen other Paul Thomas Anderson films before. Yeah, so. I, I would I would definitely I would recommend it. It's it's very different. I can't really I can't really compare it to another film. It's just so strange. Mm. Um and yeah, although although it is clearly billed as a romance, and there are certainly elements of romance in that, yeah, um, it's more, it's just more of a surreal adventure than a than a straight romance. I mean, like it's yeah, it's it's. I've made the mistake of trying to describe a pretty indescribable movie. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Okay, it's it's a it's a it's a strange one. It's very quirky. I mean, Adam Sandler character. You, you, I'm I'm still not entirely sure what the character does, even though you see everything he does. Mm, okay. you, you see, most of the film is set in his working environment. But I don't know what he does aside from collecting health puddings because they have vouchers for air miles. <laughs> <laughs> and he's uh, fairly early on in the movie. He's worked out that he's actually making more money from collecting these vouchers than the company doing the offer. I'm not entirely sure if Paul Thomas Anderson was influenced by it. There was a real-life situation. I think it was even late 80s, early 90s, where Hoover um, offered Concorde tickets to anyone who bought their products. Okay, um, very swish. Well, <laughs> they I think it almost cost them. Uh, I think it almost put them into bankruptcy because they they didn't make any money at all because the amount of money it cost them to secure the Concorde tickets. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> basically, no one sat down and, and crunched the numbers, and so a lot of people in the UK got got very cheap tickets <laughs> and you know and and um and perfectly good well, Hoover products. Concorde only went from like London to like. New America, New York, or and Paris. Paris. Yeah, couldn't really. Yeah, because I know there was that there was that tragic crash. Yeah, many yeah, many years ago, that, which pretty much buried Concorde. Well, it, Concorde never really made much in terms. It was, it was the technology was phenomenal, mm. and the 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 achievement was great. The, the speed at which you can travel between the two continents was was amazing. But I don't think it ever actually made much money. Mm. I don't think it was commercially viable. Yeah, and so I, 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 yeah, so it was kind of inevitable. It was going to end eventually. It just, unfortunately, yeah. it was a tragedy that sort of like kicked that into gear. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's going back to Punch Drunk Love. I appreciate. I don't think I've done the best job at selling this movie. It is very funny. Um, it's just so strange. It's just a very odd film. So your basic advice here would be. Go watch it anyway. Go watch it anyway. You'll probably just be as slightly dumbfounded as I was. I mean, it's not. It's not frustrating. It's not mm. a frustrating experience. It's not a stressful experience like um, <laughs> uncut gems. Uncut gems, which is brilliantly stressful, but I will never watch it again. <laughs> I'll recommend it to everyone. <laughs> just, just, just watch it once. Experience it once. <laughs> go out for a breather. Take deep <laughs> go, breaths. Go for a walk. And then carry on with your film. Yeah, games. but I, I like that Adam Sandler's character is very idiosyncratic. He's very charming. He's very, very odd. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's a shame that he's only really done two serious roles like this. I wish you'd, mm. I wish you'd jump in between the, the more commercially well, successful Adam Sandler esque movies. I think there there have been some attempts. I know there was Rain Rain Over Me, which was one, which title. was one way we started with Don Cheadle. I think it was a nine eleven. Uh, drama or a user playing someone who was sort of struggling with the after effects of losing loved ones in 9-11 or something like that um, so I know he has he has tried to agree but it's I think if the audiences aren't saying they want to see him do these roles then he's then he was crit, criticised the movies all, all you want that he went off to do with Netflix but if people are if people are paying to watch those films and they are watching them on Netflix 
of course he's going to do more of those because that's that's what gets in the attention and the money. It's very similar to what Hugh Grant uh, said many, many years ago when he was always cast as romantically mm. uh, lead in something like uh, Four Weddings, Notting Hill. Well, he basically spent 15, 20 years playing the same character. Yeah. yeah. And he tried he tried doing some different characters. I know he was he did like an action thriller, I think Desperate Measures. I can't remember who else was saying yeah, it. I think yeah. Gene Hackman was in it or something like that. But that bombed. And basically because that bombed, he decided, well, I shouldn't try and branch out now because people don't expect, don't want to see that from me. Mm. Now, when we see Hugh Grant branch out, it's, Quite, it's, it's quite insane. So you look at the gentleman. You look at Paddington too. You look at Cloud, <laughs> even Cloud Atlas. Even Cloud Atlas. He was cast against type, and he was like the, one of the more one of the more evil characters in the sort of different timelines in that yeah. Bukowski's film. I um uh I still haven't seen Cloud Atlas, and I'm a big fan of the Bukowski's actually. So like mm. um, I need a, I need to rectify that at some point. Yeah, Tom Hanks is in that one. Yeah, and Halle Berry as well, isn't it? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, they, they play multiple characters throughout history. Yeah, different. Really interesting. There are different time. Yeah, different timelines where they're playing different yeah. characters and so forth. Yeah, my, my sticking with strange movies that are quite unique. I think it'd be fair to say that um, there is no other film like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Which oh is, yeah, yeah. Uh, Terry Gilliam's adaptation of um, Hunter S. Thompson's. Uh, I was about to say famous, but I'd imagine infamous is probably a more accurate word. His, yeah, his, uh, yeah. His, um, definitely. <laughs> his, um, I don't know how to describe the book. It's, it's embellished autobiography um, of his experience <laughs> basically going on a, a drug-fueled bender that would kill most people. Mm. I'd imagine, because I, I'm... My, my my voice of choice is just the occasional double um, scotch. So I've never really done anything particularly <laughs> yeah, hard. Well, um, if I if I if I just if I smelt the atmosphere mm. on set, I would probably like die of an overdose well, straight it's, away. <laughs> it's one of I remember being one of the more quirky Johnny Depp roles that he had before. Obviously Jack Sparrow and the whole sort of re. This rebirth. was definitely in his indie phase before yeah. he became. <laughs> the biggest actor in the world, which yeah. I imagine took him by surprise more than anyone else. Mm. Um, but Johnny Depp plays Thompson here, and he is excellent. I mean, my only criticism is he's far more handsome than the real figure. But <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh, oh! Just off the top, of, sticking with Hunter S. Thompson, there's yeah, yeah. a great documentary I saw at the London Film Festival many, many years ago, um, which just charts um, his his sort of career. Or mm. kind of life. Wait, Gonzo journalism. Yeah, Gon- yeah. It was called Gonzo. It was Gonzo, the Hunter S. Thompson story, um, and it's it's a really good documentary. And we actually, um, <laughs> the funny thing was at the time, people, uh, John Hurt had gone to see the film at the same time. Oh, cool. So after, so I think after the film, it's like he was just signing people's tickets to left, right, and centre. And I got, I got um, uh, my notepad sort of autographed. Another great doctor from yes. Doctor Who, there, yeah. the War Doctor. But a little random tangent there. But no, I think yeah, Hunter S. Thompson is. Was definitely an interesting character. He was a definite unique voice per yes. se. <laughs> and and if you think of all the sort of great late twentieth century filmmakers you would pick to make to adapt his work into, yeah. into the, the visual realm, you'd pick Terry Gilliam. Mm. I mean, it's just it's just that that marriage just it's it's, just, it's the obvious choice. Oh, there was because. There was another. There was another uh, Hunter S. Thompson sort of focused film, not necessarily as fu- was, fully, as fully, as... fully focused on that. But I think the Rum Diary, which again Johnny Depp yes. starred in, that was again I think some of the earlier years of Hunter S. Thompson. So a bit more of a subdued. It was kind of like a. 
I don't know if it was fictional autobiography or something like that, but he was definitely playing someone I, Hunter S. Thompson in essence. I, w- I would say any any story that Thompson's touched, you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. I mean, the, the sort of fictionalised... A, a grain of salt? You mean a whole giant bag of salt? <laughs> a bag of cocaine. <laughs> oh, God. Like, God. Don't like, do drugs, kids. Don't no, do no, drugs. No, no, no. Especially what... Well, if, if, if you want to stop someone from taking drugs to show them this movie... Yeah, true. Unless they want to be really particularly experimental. My gosh. I mean, like, I... I my only real vice, to be honest, is the occasional scotch. Mm. That, that's my thing. Scotch, like, scotch, 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 scotch. Mm. Down, down it goes. Well, I do, I down d- to my belly. Just, mm, just mm, like mm. one burgundy. I do like um, <laughs> Glenlivet single malt. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I'd imagine if I just like anything he takes in that film, which Gilliam brilliantly um, visualizes. Just, I mean, it's sort of like off kilter, sort of Dutch angles, and the way the camera awkwardly flows I mean I, I felt kind of nauseous <laughs> some, oh, of the, some of the carousel moments oh. inside the um, so, yeah yeah I, I, I love that there's that <laughs> you're, you're following through the casino and it's there's the circus themed one and they're trying yeah. and they're trying to get on or off the carousel oh, so, and, he, and he's ben, going ben, Benicio de Toro he's yeah. so good <laughs> he's just going go, so, come on man jump jump like a bunny Jump, <laughs> jump! <laughs> I can't do it, and it, it just gets worse. <laughs> stop it! <laughs> stop! Oh, Del Toro, he's he's very good as well. I mean, the both lead. I mean, Johnny mm. Depp is excellent. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I can't remember if I just said this or not, but like, he, he, my criticism is he is a bit too handsome as yeah, as Thompson. Said, yeah. If, yeah, yeah. If you, if you put them two together, the real figures. Well, actually, the real Thompson actually figure, he's he cameos in the film. Yeah, it's a wonderful, brilliant where um Johnny Depp playing him looks at him and goes like, "Oh, it's me." It's <laughs> <laughs> just going off this huge time collapse spiel because the sort of the adverse effects of the all these incredible drugs they're taking. Mm. I mean, it's it's a fascinating glimpse of like sixties counterculture and sort of like the the, the more surreal aspects of it. And, and mm. Del Toro with, with with Depp's character and performance, it's more. <laughs> it's more fascinating. Yeah. I mean, like it's alarming, but it's fascinating. Like, mm. like the, how some a human being could experience this. Yeah. I mean, if you ever actually read the the daily his daily um, regime of like um, drugs and alcohol, um, it's not really detailed in this film. But if you, if you look what he actually did every single day, I'm amazed he lived as long as he did because mm. he only died about about ten years ago. Um, yeah, Johnny Depp financed his funeral. He had his, uh, he paid for his um, ashes to be launched out of a cannon. <laughs> just, uh, that sounds that's, very typical. That's that, I don't yeah that, I don't know. That's more typical to Thompson or more typical to Depp. But it was um, <laughs> mm. it made sense. But Dotoa's character, the Doctor Gonzo figure, who, who um, yeah, he's he's generally quite terrifying. Um, mm. You know, the, he's sort of the, this character is the living embodiment of the bad trip. Mm. Like um, whether it's brandishing his hunting knife or the gun, or like what, insisting that um, Thompson drops a, um, a tape player into the bath to electrocute him, <laughs> <laughs> just or picking up like um, you know, young uh, young women. Uh, it's it's very very ugly and very uncomfortable, mm. as was the time and the the, the um, story being told. Um, yeah, it's it's a brilliant movie. It's I'm glad it's had a bit of a a re-evaluation over the years because uh, I'm under the impression it kind of bombed when it came out. I think it was it Terry really, Gilliam because it, it, it came out I think just after um, The Adventures of Baron Mon- <laughs> I can't pronounce it, it. I think it came out after 12 Monkeys as well. So, see, 12 Monkeys was a hit. That yeah, was a and, huge hit. Yeah, Brad Pitt yeah. got Oscar nominated for yeah, that I think. Yeah, rightly so. I mean 12 Monkeys is 
incredible. Mm. I think it was, uh, yeah, I think it wasn't necessarily a success upon release, but it was, it's one of those sort of indie films that gained cult status. Mm. It feels very much like, yeah. if, if you go, <laughs> I'd be surprised if you go on a top 10 cult films and it's not in that, in part of that cult yeah. yeah. Mm. But I do, I do recommend it. It's not an, it's not an easy film. It, it's, you'll laugh and be horrified kind of at the same time you might also be lost in, in just the the whole don't don't go into this thing. film trying expecting a clear cut narrative because there isn't one and that's kind of the point yeah that, that that matches the experiences these these unique individuals went through mm. so i'm just just Go along for the ride, and then <laughs> might might need to put the subtitles on a few times when they're, oh, they're yeah. tripping out terribly. I'm totally convinced by the performances. I mean, like, mm. if you were to tell me that they they're actually just filmed two incredibly intoxicated individuals, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I just love that line. We can't stop here. It's bad country. <laughs> it's Toby Maguire. <laughs> His cameo is the is the hitchhiker who's clearly meant to be like one of Manson's lot. Oh no! Like I love the fact that they, it's it's set up so you, you know the conventional you don't pick up the strange looking hippie hitchhiker because you know he's going to murder you, but within several minutes he's terrified of them. <laughs> it's just watching this clearly dangerous character a bit slowly scared. <laughs> More like, oh my God, Johnny Depp's probably going to kill me. It's just like hugging him over. Yeah, yeah I, I do recommend it. It's, it's very good. There's some great little cameos in it as well. Christina Ritchie, who's probably more famous for being Wednesday Adams. Mm. She she um, plays, um, uh, has a small role in it as well, which is very very good her character she plays a character who's picked up she's only like her age is ambiguous but she's clearly young um she's picked up (laughs) she's in hot she wants to go to hollywood or las vegas um to share her talent for painting hundreds of pictures of barbara streisand (laughs) and that just killed me just seeing these these loads of just these pictures of streisand and just, well, it's a unique well, hobby. Whilst, whilst Johnny Depp's character is just the you know, Thompson is just tripping out. <laughs> <laughs> like, like again, if if only five percent of this film is real, I have a lot of questions. Because like, <laughs> part of me would part of me would like to accept this film is entirely fictitious. Mm. But I get the impression there is some awkward truth to this fascinating <laughs> yet terrifying story. But yeah, I, I I would give it five stars as well. Another five stars. Five movie. stars. Five stars. Just for for the. Five stars. Five stars. There we go. The screen's probably filled up with so many stars now you can't even count them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, two very, two very odd movies, both quite unique, mm. um, very different in tone, as you can imagine. Very. I, I, was, I was, I liked them a lot. And um, my last film I watched uh, this week was actually. So I'm a big Tim Burton fan. Mm. But the only Tim Burton that well, has two Tim Burton movies I haven't seen. That's Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Mm. which I'll get around to one day, but I think Pee-wee's more of an American kind of... Yeah, it's more of American cult cinema yeah, it's not really, TV, isn't it? It's not really permeated mm. British culture. Yeah. Um, oh, I tell a lie, I haven't actually watched Frankenweenie. No, have I? No, no. no I, need, I do need to catch up. But um, yeah, um, me being a sort of like a, a weird culty goth type, you may be surprised that I haven't seen Ed Wood. Ah, yes. So we're sticking to Johnny Depp. And I hadn't realised what... Because I, I, I know about the Edward character, the, mm. the, the real-life figure. Yeah. I, I knew, obviously, he's considered the worst filmmaker of all time. And I've seen bits and bobs of Plan 9 from Outer Space and stuff like that. And like, it is funny. 
Mm. Um, but I, this film is great in the fact that Tim Burton and um, the, you know the, the screenwriters they 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 see this historically maligned figure who's very very um, strange is probably the best word to use actually very <laughs> strange uh, especially for their time mm. I mean um, and also kind of it, it kind of. Um, from a modern lens, kind of ahead of their time, and like, and strangely, like, um, yeah, because they're like openly an open transvestite from nineteen fifties. Is like amazing that they weren't killed. Um, and you know the kind of films they're making, they're sort of like the early exploitation movies. Although their quality is objectively terrible, mm. that, that that big debut movie, Glenn or Glenda, dealing about. Um, transgenderism and transvestitism, like in that period of time, it's like it's it's literally decades ahead of its time. It's just a shame. It's you know, the films. It's just a shame Edward was incapable of actually making a good film. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the, the the fact that Tim Burton um, saw this figure that's been traditionally like maligned and mocked and ridiculed for decades and decades, and for no, he's a hero. This person went out of you know had a dream. And did everything in their power to do it, um, to like make this dream come true. You just can't help but like fall in love with Edward as a character. Mm. Yeah, and, and and the film is it's it's not just so <laughs> it's not just the portrayal of Edward and, and Johnny Depp is excellent as Edward. And you you just despite the sort of the sort of the tragic comedy of the character, um you can't help but rooting for him and you, you never feel like the movie's mocking him. Mm. I mean, like the, the, the situation the character has created for themselves is absurd yeah. and the absurdity is hilarious. Mm-hmm. But and that doesn't, you don't feel like you're, the movie is ever laughing at this person. It's very yeah. much... It's, it's, you know, an, it's a love letter. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and that, that's nice. It's nice to f- watch a movie like this and you, and you, you, want it, you go along with their journey and you want them to succeed. You mm. want them to be able to be the person they want to be. You want them to be, you know, comfortable as the, you know, out and about. And it, it's it's generally quite inspiring. Um, Bill Murray's character, in particular, is very good. Uh, very, very um, yeah. One of the one, it's one of the few Bill Murray roles that's like um, I was about to say a straight character, but that's a really inappropriate <laughs> term if, you, if you've seen the film. Um, but yeah, but Bill Murray is very good in this as well. The stand-up performance, which is probably obvious, is going to be Martin Landau, who um, mm. he's kind of not really recognisable, which is appropriate because the film won two Oscars: Best Supporting Actor for Landau playing Bella Lugosi, the famous horror actor who yeah created the image of Dracula, which still permeates to this day. Yeah. Um, and the makeup artists who created the look for him, because you watch that film and it, you kind of forget Johnny. So Johnny Depp, like um, Hunter S. Thompson, doesn't really. He's too. Han- he's more handsome than the real character he's playing. Yeah. He's he's a really handsome version of Edward. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you see them pictures side by side, you're like they're not quite as similar. You, you, you wonder in Hollywood around that time and saying, "Do you have a famous person or a real life person that you need to look really really handsome? Call Johnny Depp. Yep, call Johnny Depp. I mean, it's not Johnny Depp's fault that he's you know beautiful, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, he's, his performance is excellent. Um, oddly enough, he based his performance on like Ronald Reagan because of his because of his um his um you know endless optimism well, listen, <laughs> in, the, well, in the face of like you know facts. <laughs> doesn't doesn't Johnny Depp just seem to just base a lot of thing, a lot of his major roles on different people? It's like obviously well, it's, with it's a clever it's, technique. Yeah, we, Sparrow, we, Sparrow, Keith Richards, Richards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonka was kind of Michael Jacksony. 
I I re- I saw Michael Jackson in Willy Wonka, which is, which would make sense. Mm. But I mean, for the role, it don't. I mean, a bit of a tangent here, yeah. but I mean, it makes sense on paper. But I think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory doesn't really. It gets the weirdness of Willy Wonka, right? It doesn't get the charm across though, which Gene yeah. Wilder actually definitely had in spade. It's frustrating because I think as a film, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is better than Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. However, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory has a better Willy Wonka. Then Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> so it kind of ups it a little. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense what I say? Possibly. Possibly, yeah. They, let yeah. us know, viewers and listeners. Do let us know <laughs> what Christian you're talking about. <laughs> but um, no, it's, um, uh, yeah, Martin um, uh, uh, Landau's performance is incredible. And he, you know, I'm glad he got the best supporting uh, Oscar because it's it's an amazing story and he's not he's playing an over the top larger than life figure but he's not playing the part ridiculously over the top himself he's not he's not chewing the scenery mm. so if although you're watching this mad character it's it feels very real and it, it touches it, it touches upon the um, Bella Lugosi's drug dependencies which I had no idea about I mean I didn't I didn't know about the sort of like um, the um, the transvestitism of Edward at all. I didn't know that, which makes sense if you look at the, the film poster and mm. like the history. I, I I didn't know about the sort of like the real life tragedy of Bella Lugosi. And the film again, it's it, it portrays these things with like a, a, a kind, open heart. And typical Tim Burton, he he sees characters and like real life figures whom other people would probably look and think, oh, these are strange types, and you know mock them. He he sees he sees the beauty in in the uniqueness of these individuals, and mm. the film allows you to feel that as well. And that's 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 the best thing. I think of all of Tim Burton's movies, this is the best heart. Mm. And I, I do really thoroughly recommend it. In terms of that, it's also just fun. I love watching movies about making movies. Mm. And it's especially the fact that they're making such bad movies. Oh, it's like, like Bowfinger. But I, I, I actually thought about Bowfinger watching this because Bowfinger, again, is quite an underrated movie, but I, yeah. I love Bowfinger. I saw I, it in the cinema. Did you? Yeah, I remember wanting to see it at the cinema. It, and it's one of the first DVDs I, I owned as well. Me too. That was my second DVD after the well, Matrix. Well, it, it was just... But when you, when I was younger, I didn't know much about obviously cinema in terms of the filmmaking landscape and so forth. Like you just kind of look at it as like, oh, it's people making a very silly movie. I can relate to this. But it's it's great. But it, get, it, get, it gets better when you have more knowledge. I I think both things has gotten better of age, especially the, the Eddie Murphy character and the whole Scientology thing. Or was it Mindhead? They call oh, it. Oh, was it? Yeah, Mindhead or Mental or something. Like <laughs> it, that. It's definitely Scientology. It's meant to be. But my <laughs> my favorite joke in Bowfinger. I'll go back to Edwin in a second. Is like to get a film crew, Steve Martin's character, he 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 basically plucks loads of um illegal um immigrants on the on the Mexican border. So there's a great scene where these Mexicans running across the desert being shot at by American law of um um a law of um uh, what? Border Patrol. Border Patrol, thank you, Border Patrol. And then Steve Martin and his van's like, come here, come here, Bowfinger grabs five random, four or five random guys. And the, the first time they're filming, he's just literally shoved camera equipment at them and they have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and like slowly throughout the movie, they get more technically proficient. And yeah. by the end of the film, they're incredibly suave, like Hollywood types who like know their craft. <laughs> they, 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 they're dressed in like expensive suits. They've got great haircuts and they've got their mobile phones and stuff. 
and it's just it's just it's it's just a great little running joke all the way for the film you don't really pick up on if you're not paying attention mm. there's also a really great robert downey jr cameo cameo yeah because is, isn't he head isn't he head of a studio yeah he's, he's only in it for about two three minutes mm. um it, the joke of his character is he loves his car yeah and steve martin steals it effectively for the film and when he's watching when he's watching oh, yes. yeah like Robert Downey Jr is only, he's only in the film for about two three minutes and just his face when he realises his car's been stolen the car that he um he, he says like um yeah um you know in the divorce my wife got the kids and the house but I got the car <laughs> it's like a word to that effect just Downey Jr he just like he looks horrified and it's the best bit of acting in the whole film <laughs> it's, it's just like that like flash in his eyes it's like yeah he was about to be iron man but he was about to become the greatest actor of all time <laughs> bowfinger four stars oh. definitely watch it but um edward um yeah i, I would also give i would give edward f- f- I, I, i'm gonna I'll be generous five stars it's Throw it a- out there five, five stars. stars yeah it's um it's it's a very strange story now, obviously, there are mo- there are moments that have been invented for storytelling purposes, mm. but it feels authentic, um, and it's 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 heart's definitely in the right place. I feel, and um, yeah, I just like watching these very eccentric characters portrayed mm. um, with um, with uh, empathy and love. Mm. And yeah, watch Edward. The cinematography is also gorgeous as well. Like um, some of the shots of the, uh, some shots of the um, cinema audiences with their their highlights of their head just sort of like lit by the projectionist. Mm. It's so gorgeous. Mm. Like I can't believe it didn't get any other Oscar nominations. Yeah. Uh, should have definitely got the cinematography at least. But, mm. uh, then again, who cares about the Oscars? It's all political, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Pretty much, it's one big political campaign half the time. Yes. yes. Anyway, what were your hey, films? Were, so they, were they just as strange and culty as well, mine? Well, they have a very familiar theme running through all of them. Let's see if we can get it as we go along. Okay. So, Is it Johnny Depp? No, not Johnny Depp. Um, so uh, I got into, well, in the space of about a couple of days, I watched about four westerns. Four I, westerns. Four westerns, four, four of them. And now he just kind of, I don't know, I was, I was watching the documentary... Um, the movies, which is currently on Sky documentary. And it's basically, it's a very generic way of going, a very generic look through the history of cinema. So going all the way from the 1920s, 30s, all the way up to modern days. And they are kind of like quick stop tours of important films that came out during the time. And they were highlighting a few Westerns, especially by uh, John Ford in one of the episodes. And I was listening and, 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 and learned about these films and kind of going, oh, these, these, these films sound very interesting. I, I kind of want to have want to have a look at them because I've never I've never properly sat down and watched westerns because I always felt westerns would be boring in themselves. So the first film that I've watched is uh, the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Oh. Uh, it's James Stewart, John Wayne, and basically the the premise is uh, that James Stewart has gone from the big city out to the wild frontier because. Obviously, everyone's trying to make a name for themselves or, or make a fortune or make a living out there. So he he does so. On the on the course on on the course of his travels, his stagecoach gets hijacked by a group of bandits led by one Liberty Valance, played by very mean and very nasty Lee Marvin. Um, <laughs> does he start singing about wagons and painting them? No, no, no. He just get uh, no. James Stewart just gets horribly whipped for Ooh. for for quite a while, and then. 
he gets taken to uh, the nearest town, which is the town he was supposed to be going to. Um, and he sort of, he's healed and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then he start, he starts sort of butting heads with uh, one of the local sort of ranchers there, played by John Wayne, <laughs> who who's basically saying, well, you can't really, you can't really survive out in the Wild West without a gun. And Jimmy Stewart's going, well, I don't want to use a gun. I want to use words and lore and all that sort of stuff. Um, so obviously they're butting, they're butting heads about this idea. But, Liberty Valance uh, is still coming into town now and then and causing all sorts of havoc. And it gets to the stage where uh, Liberty Valance is targeting James Stewart's character. He really wants, he just wants to really make him suffer up to the point that he challenges him to a gunfight. And just basically says, right, this, it's like, I'm going to kill you now. No, no, it's all about it. So basically he also is trying to learn how to use a gun at the same time, being taught by John Wayne, who is not his biggest fan and is a bit of a dick in this film <laughs> film because basically just goes okay put up those paint cans puts up the paint cans john wayne shoots two of them off and shoots one more to spill paint over james stewart and goes yeah well you can use a gun <laughs> it's it's well, if you're gonna be taught how to use a gun in the wild west you want john wayne yeah to yeah clint eastwood yeah but the thing is with this film it's it's yes it's a western at heart it's obviously about bandits and stuff like that but at its heart, it's there is a story about morality, what is right, what is wrong, what is the greater good of the situation. You've got these two characters, you've got Stuart, you've got Wayne, and they're butting heads about the ideals. One of their ideals will eventually win out in a way, but it's only through this confrontation with, Lib- with Liberty Valance that it all comes a fall. It's, it's, it's really interesting tension there. I like yeah. that. Sort of like the themes. Yeah. It's a, it's like, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, and again, it's like, there are little comedic subplots. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a, a publisher or newspaper person who, 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 um, Stuart's goes to live with and kind of builds his sort of law, law office with and all that sort of stuff. Um, and again, it's like, you get these really comedy, comedic moments like you've got the the town sheriff who doesn't really want to cause trouble he just wants to fill his belly up with steak and potatoes <laughs> i mean we've all been there yeah we've all been there um but you move away from those little comedy moments there's still a really good story at its heart and it, again and yeah i really enjoyed it i think there's some really good performances there speaking of john wayne the next film that i went on to watch was the searchers mm. uh, searchers is another john ford film um it's it's been listed by the American Film Institute as one of the great greatest films ever made. It's like yeah, it's, it's a must it's, watch. It's on my list. I I because I, 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 I love a good western and I haven't mm. watched it, so it feels like. <laughs> so the plot with the searchers is John Wayne plays a returning Confederate soldier um, who's come back from the war and he's just trying to keep a low. Well, not really trying to keep a low profile. He's just carrying on after the war. Obviously. Confederacy didn't win, so obviously he's still kind Spoiler. of... Spoiler. Yeah, so he's still kind of licking his wounds in a bit. And it, it, he does have some very strong prejudices, especially against Apache Indians and so forth. Um, however, during like during the first couple of days he's back, while he's away sort of helping the local town, trying to clear out um, sort of in, Indian sort of scalpers, all that sort of stuff, mm. um, an Apache group actually come by and kill pretty much all of his family or surviving family uh, apart from 
his young niece who goes missing. So he becomes obsessed with trying to find his niece. So he goes off. So he initially goes off with a group of a group of fellow cowboy men, all that sort of stuff. They go looking. They go trying to look for the tribe that's taken taken the girl. It gets to the stage where the the group don't want to carry on because they're going. Well, we're just going to end up dead at this mm. rate. But John Wayne's having none of it. He's going, no, no, I'm going to keep on looking. And it only ends up being him. And um, I, I don't know the relation, but it basically it was a, a close friend of the family. Only two of them left that go across states around the Wild West area, just still trying to find it. And this search lasts years. It doesn't last oh, like so a couple of... I thought it was it's a very short it's a, time scale. No, no, no. I mean, basically the, the, young, the, the young niece that's kidnapped grows up to be Natalie Wood. So it's one of, I think, one of Natalie Wood's earlier roles. She doesn't have much to say in it, but you do see the girl grown up as Natalie Wood. Um, but a lot of the thing with the searches is it's about John Wayne's character's drive to just find, yeah. find his niece. Whether, 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 it, whether it's right or wrong, and it becomes questionable, there's a bit where he lie, he's lied to someone about someone who's uh, a lot, who was alive but dead. And he just kind of goes, "Do you want me to paint you a picture? She's dead." And it gets, and it gets, it gets that point where the guy who's he's lied to is so upset he goes off trying to attack a group of Indians and ends up getting shot <laughs> himself. It's like he's, he's. You can understand the reasons why, but he's not necessarily at heart a nice guy. So is he, is he is this an early example of an anti-hero? Yeah, pretty much. So like, so there's a lot of moral ambiguity in this yeah, film, like ab- yeah, a absolutely. bit more nuanced. Yeah, because one of my biggest problems of films. Sort of pre Sergio Leone um, westerns, my biggest problem, they tend to be, it just falls into the Indians bad, cowboys good mm. category. The, you know, that, that classic, the white clad cowboy. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's, it's ugly, jingoistic nonsense at times. I mean, obviously, the work of John Ford is, seems to be an exception, and his influence is quite, it's fascinating actually, because we're talking recently, has been a bit of a Twitter spat. On, mm. I mean, I avoid film Twitter in general because I don't mm. think that it's very nice. But they were talking about the Ghost of um, Tsushima. The, oh yeah. yes, yes, and the then, PlayStation game. Yeah, and people were talking about the um, the way the film has been influenced by Western movies, and then of course the internet started going. Well, actually, Akira, Akira Seven Kurosawa, Samurai, Ram, yeah, Rashomon. Well, yeah, exactly. That these movies um, um, were influenced, but the works of Akira Kurosawa, who's an incredible filmmaker, his works were actually influenced by John Ford. Mm. So there's, it, it's not quite. It's interesting how Japanese and American film. Here's, is it to add on to that? Mm. Sticking with the Western theme, obviously, um, Clint Eastwood won a lot of Oscars for Unforgiven back in about ninety two, ninety three. Uh, yes, ninety two. And there was, an, an, and years later, there was a Japanese remake of the film with Ken Watanabe. Oh, really? Yeah, interesting. Which is kind of like a, a complete reverse of what it's been before. Well, famously, Sergio Leone, um, well, it's not American, it was Italian, but um, yeah, he, <laughs> the Fist for the Dollars is a almost frame-by-frame ripoff of Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Oh, okay. I watched Yojimbo recently for the first time. It's an excellent movie. But me and me and my fiance were big fans of the, the Man of No Name trilogy, as you can mm. imagine. We literally looked at each other and went, "Like it's not just the same story. It is the frame composition's identical. <laughs> it's almost as bad as that Psycho remake. 
Yeah, but like, uh, but probably, but at least uh, at, at least it's changed locale, and rather yeah. than swords, it's guns, and it, it it it's still a brilliant movie. Mm. Um, obviously, it led to for a few dollars more, which is excellent, and the good, the bad, and the ugly, which yeah. is even better. It's on, it's on my list to watch. Have you, have you never seen any of the? Oh, no. Really? No. No, this is this is how in into the Western genre I got. Go I went on. I went off and brought a, a box set of Western movies. It's not down here in, in in the little room we have here, but this is a Western thing that has uh, the Searchers. Yeah. Uh, what are your star ratings for those two films? Uh, Man who shot Liberty Valance, I would give four. Yeah. Uh, the Searchers, I would give the. Re- I would give the Searchers a little bit less, about three and a half. Okay. And it's and it's not because I don't like the performance and I don't like the general story through it. Like I said with The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, there are moments where there's humour, and the humour works. There are moments of humour in the searches I think detract from the film's focus. I think the, uh, I, I personally think a great way of telling the story was if it's John Wayne and this only other member of the family that, that wants to help out, if we're just following them and them alone, and we're seeing how time changes around them as they're doing the as they're searching, and how for, the search impacts them, yeah, how the search impacts. I think that would have hit a lot harder. So do you think just there's too many threads and it's a bit it's too, too many threads, and it's like some threads are very dramatic, some threads are very comedic, and it just to me it didn't mesh well. I kind of zoned out a little bit during the comedy moments than the actual serious story elements to it. Mm. Um, what, was the, what was the other? I, I presume the other two films you've watched this week are westerns as well. Yes, pretty much. Yes, pretty yeah. much. So we're going to move over to the nineties now because oh, after okay. because as we were speaking earlier, after Unforgiven won uh, a lot of Oscars, everyone wanted to make a western, <laughs> and one of those westerns was Tombstone. Uh, Tombstone stars uh, Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp. He's retired from being uh, like a, 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 a sheriff. sheriff wasn't yeah. he? he was a sheriff. He's retired from being. A Marshall, so he's gone out to the Wild West as well, to the town of Tombstone, to kind of make his fortune. We're along with his sort of uh, uh, riding buddies, so he's got uh, Sam Elliott, he's got Bill Paxton as, as his brother, and he's got Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday. And Doc Holliday is someone who's currently who is suffering from tuberculosis at the same time. So it's kind of like Val Kilmer throughout the film is kind of like either slightly healthy or clearly on the verge of death. <laughs> oh dear. But very charismatic at the same time. Well, it is Val Kilmer. Um, but obviously... The best as, Batman. Yeah, but, <laughs> the when, fourth best. But when we get to... But when they sort of start settling into into the town and they're starting to go there, they're taking over like um, taking over like a gambling section of, a, of uh, a saloon, which is making them a little bit of money. They get mines and so forth. So it's all like they're building up their little property. They're having a nice property investment portfolio there. Mm. Um, there is a local band of outfits... Uh, I think called the Red Cowboys, where basically they're they're just bandits and they all have red sashes just to show that they're part of this sort of mafia-style gang. Crips and Bloods. And the funny thing is they're made up of character actors again. So we talked about like The Rock a couple of episodes about about the the henchmen and all that all being kind of like proper character actors. It's the same here with the with these with these nay do goodwellers. So you've got uh, Michael Bean as like the, the ultimate gunslinger. You've got um, Powers Booth as the sneering leader. Uh, you've got, um, who else? You've got Thomas Hayden Church in there as well. You've even got Stephen Lang from Avatar before he became uber hench and kind of very intimidating. <laughs> he's like the he's like the dirtiest one of them all with like just the beers and just the, it's like classic, is absolute classic Western kind of caricaturing in a sense. Um, but it's very, it, it's very mainstream. It's very Hollywoody. It's, kind of 
by the numbers. Is it is it a bit more sanitized than say unfor- it's contemporaries like Unforgiven yeah, or Dances of Wolves? It is. It is very sanitized. I mean, it does. It does sort of cover the White Earp story per se. And this was not. This was one of two White Earp films that were coming out around that time. Tombstone was originally supposed to star Kevin Costner. Uh, Kevin Costner eventually didn't do the project, but he still wanted to do White Earp, so he went off and did the White Earp film, which that film in itself is about three and a bit hours long. Was that the other film we watched this week? And that wasn't the other film oh, we watched okay, this week, okay. but I might watch. I mean, I, out of the two, I kind of liked Tombstone, the look of Tombstone more because of because of the cast and and so forth. Is there is a better White Earp movie? Oh yeah, the the best one out of all these films you mentioned. Um, have you watched a film? I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Shanghai Noon. Oh God! <laughs> I actually uh, watched that recently. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. It's very good. They are, yeah, the Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights aren't. They're, uh, they're uh, fun. They're, they're very probably, good fun. They're probably the strongest Jackie Chan US films. Absolutely. Oh, by far. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Go, yeah. Because <laughs> what was the what was the one he did with Lee Evans? The Medallion. The Medallion. Yeah, <laughs> with Julian Sands. Oh, it was awful. <laughs> I liked Forbidden Kingdom. Forbidden Kingdom was, was good. I thought that was actually but again, Forbidden, yeah. but Forbidden Kingdom, I think, was still kind of like a, a, a co-Chinese US sort of thing. So I think there was still a focus. Not quite, yeah, yeah. It's like when you look at pure American filmmaking side of things like Shanghai Noon or even the Rush Hour films. Yeah, yeah. Rush Hour, I'm, st- I'm not sure. First Rush, first Rush Hour was okay. It's a bit of a nastiness to the films yeah. I don't like. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, It's always nice watching Jackie Yeah, Chan. so Tombstone, I, I enjoyed Tombstone. It's something I probably would watch again. But I, it's like it's not one star. No, <laughs> I'd probably give it. I'd probably give it again another three, three and a half. It's like I enjoy it. Um, there are some really good moments in the film. It's not necessarily one that I would go straight to watch again. Um, but it's a good western. And if you ever, if you like your westerns, you can't go wrong with Tombstone. Uh, I need to. Sorry, before you mention your next film, I feel like I need to write you a list of westerns you have to watch. Mm. I mean, they will all star Clint Eastwood. So apologies in advance. Well, I've got Pell Rider upstairs. Too. Oh, Pell Rider is excellent. Excellent. Yeah. That kind of gets a bit forgotten between because that between Good Man the Ugly and the Outlaw Josie Wells, that one yeah. kind of gets neglected. Yeah, those two. You've definitely got to watch the Dollars trilogy. Definitely got to watch Unforgiven. Unfor- Unfor- you haven't seen Unforgiven? No. <gasps> Gene Hackman is great in that. Oh, oh, Richard Harris. Yeah, Richard Harris is in um, that one, yeah. yeah um, the, um, the Duke of Death, the, the English character. <laughs> He's such a slime ball. Like, <laughs> it was really jarring because I, I watched the Harry Potter movies mm. and then I watched Unforgiven. I was like, what? <laughs> this is why is Dumbledore so mean? <laughs> why is the Emperor from Gladiator such a bastard? I like, thought I thought he was going to hug Russell Crowe like oh, his own son. He's just so it is he, he's oh he's awful he's awful. Morgan Freeman's very good in it as well, but Clint Eastwood like steals the. Gene show. Hackman does a lot of westerns. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think he did Unforgiven. I think he's also in White Up. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. And he's in the next film I'm going to talk about, Ooh. The Quick and the Dead. I've which, never heard of this. Now, this is directed by Sam Raimi, who this was like in between Evil Deads and Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, I think just, uh, no, first Spider-Man wasn't until 2000, was 2001. 2000, so, yeah, this, yeah. Uh, so Sam Raimi was still kind of figuring out genre filmmaking, but he wanted to do his own style of the Western. And the story of um, The Quick and the Dead is Sharon Stone is this lone gunslinger. She's travelled to town searching for someone. Uh, she's searching for the person who has killed her dad. Or killed her, killed her family in that sort of way. She turns into it. She arrives at a town which is running its own gunslinging contest, where basically the fastest hands from around the area are coming forward to take part in a one-on-one tournament 
winner take all that sort of thing and it's being run by uh being run by a very evil gene hackman who may or may not be the person that sharon stone is trying to kill um so is, they, is, is it lex luther is that the twist is this another <laughs> it, it, superman movie it, it's the cowboy lex luther version. superman five uh, superman goes west yeah so sharon stone finds herself getting getting involved in the tournament but there are other people that she sort of gets to know so there is uh gene hackman's son a very young Leonardo DiCaprio oh, really? in one of his earlier roles, yeah, yeah, yep, as, after Gilbert Grape. Yeah, it's like he's known as the he's just known as the kid, and again, he's like a really fast gunslinger. The kid, kid. Yeah, he's just he's surrounded by a little a little pack of fan fan girls as well. For I was like, see, I'm so fast, I'm so fast with my guns, all that sort of stuff. Um, there's also uh, like very sort of intimidating guys played by. There's one played by Lance Hendrickson, who's like a dab hand of card tricks. And a, and a gun, and he's telling these amazing stories of how he's able to take down bandits. And Does stuff he off. use the card? No, he doesn't. Jonathan Creek style. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, Keith David is a is a marshal who's been enlisted to try and take down Gene Hackman, um, and then all and including all that is a preacher played by Russell Crowe in his first American film role. Really? Yeah, yeah. What's so his accent like? It's all right. It's yeah. fine. Um, it's yeah. It's this is this is a very very pulpy, pulpy B movie western. And I remember watching this when I was young, and I loved the idea of the gunslinging tournament. And it's like basically the opponents had to go around and challenge people, saying like, "I challenge you to a duel at three o'clock," <laughs> and then at three o'clock you have to go out to the street and and pull your guns to to do it. For half of the tournament, it's kind of like disable the opponent. And then because things start to escalate, Gene Hackman goes, no, no, to the death. <laughs> so some relationships get really tested. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is this is like Raimi's homage to Westerns. There's crazy zooms. There's uh, the, the evil dead techniques are there. So you see. Oh, so you mean he's just taken two planks of wood, nailed yeah. a camera to him and ran at people. Well, like... no, it's like you see you see people getting shot. It's like, it's like bullets going flinging through. You've got little people looking at the shadows of themselves and they're missing a hole and they're going, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of things. It's it it's not gonna win awards for for like it's not gonna win Oscars, but out of the Westerns I watched this week, it was really nice to get back to this film. It's short; it's only like an hour and a half, around forty minutes. But it's <laughs> love ninety minute long. But it, it, <laughs> it, it, it is good fun. It is it is good old fashioned, unapologetically violent Western fun. And uh, even even one of the competitors is uh, Tobin Bell for the the man who would be Jigsaw in Saw. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like there's a lot there's a lot of people that just turn up in this film and you go, oh. <laughs> I haven't seen them before in this, but yeah, um, yeah. Out of the four, I'd say uh, a quick and dead, quick and dead, four stars for me. Um, and what was the other one? Tombstone. I've already said three and a half. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so it's a good. Cool. Week. I feel and, um, this week. I'll write a list of other westerns you need to mm. watch. Well, I still got my westerns box. I still got how the West is one to watch. Uh, Pale Rider. Pale Rider is excellent. Wild Bunch. Uh, uh, I think the other one is Rio. Grand Rio Bravo, I think it's Rio Bravo. Rio Bravo must be the, I think it's the one with Dean Martin. Um, so yeah, quite a few. And I and I just I just just going off topic. There's I I looked at I keep watching some of the trailers for the westerns because I just go I get an idea what the film's about. And there was one with John Wayne called uh McGin I think it's McClinty McClinty or McFlint I can't pronounce it. It's kind of <laughs> you'll like, find out when you watch you'll it. You'll find it when you watch it. But it's like it is the it's like the western version of the Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and and the way it starts the shrew. I don't know. But the way the, the trailer starts off is there's like just Pete's like uh like uh cowboys and that just kind of working working hard and stuff like that. And the trailer voice goes in and goes, Do you like good old family fun? And then John Taming Wayne of the Shrew. And then John Wayne just turns up and punches someone. That- <laughs> Good, clean, family fun punch. I mean, this is America. You're not allowed to swear or like show any form of nudity, but you can massacre entire armies and it's, you know, play it on 5, 5 p.m., not a problem. Oh, that, 5 p.m., Saturday morning I need, breakfast. I, I need to see this film because there's a scene where uh, John Wayne's daughter is oh, has, a, has a suit in and she doesn't like the suitor, so she turns to John Wayne and says, Dad, if you love me, can you pick up your guns and shoot this guy? You're right. I do love you. <laughs> I have to see this film. It's the family film for the whole family. Everyone, though. Good, clean family fun. Did we mention family? <laughs> Did we mention family? <laughs> shot of them hanging on oh. the gallows. Uh, this is completely right. You know that great meme of James Franco going first time? Yeah, that's yeah. from... What film is that? That's Coen Brothers' uh, Ballad of Bust or something. It's the one, with, uh, the one they did for Netflix. Oh, cool. I just, I just keep seeing it. I'm like, what is this film? Mm. I could have Googled that, but I thought... I've still, I saw the original trailer for True Grit, the one with John Wayne. Very good. Oh, sorry, I've only seen the remake. Yeah, Coen, but yeah which yeah, is very like, good. It's like the Coen Brothers is like comedy, but also very serious. The original John Wayne one is incredibly comedic. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, okay, <laughs> this is this is completely weird and tonal change. I think if you're going to watch the greatest John Wayne um, uh, Western, you need to watch um, his Genghis Khan biopic. Do you not know about this? No. It's the film that killed him. What? So, <laughs> basically... Explain. <laughs> John Wayne's dream role, I kid you not, was Genghis Khan. Now, you may already be aware of a slight problem. Because <laughs> I know a lot of the planet's descendants are, a lot of the planet's population are descended from Genghis Khan, but he's probably not because John Wayne is Caucasian and Genghis Khan was Mongolian. You may not be aware of that. He certainly wasn't. Um, it's, it, was the, it was a vanity project. Oh, God, the weirdest, I can't remember who plays the love interest, but she's white. And kept white, which again makes no sense. When but, was when was this film out? Uh, like early sixties. But they filmed it. Um, so yeah, so he's he's yellow faced all the way for the film, and it's just even for the time, it was like ungodly, uncom- you know, ungodly awful. <laughs> um, so throughout the film, he's obviously yellow faced, but he's still John Wayne. I'm Genghis Khan, and it, it's it's basically the film is a classic. Golden Age Hollywood romance. Did John Wayne just watch The King and I and went, I want me a part of that? It's like, it kind of, yeah. It's a bit like that with John Wayne in yellow face pretending to be Genghis Khan. And they filmed, it was infamously made on a nuclear testing site in the Nevada desert, right? So uh, the, the, the military had been bombing the sh- the. F out of that site for God knows how long. <laughs> and everyone, everyone involved in the film died of cancer. Oh, God. Everyone. Yeah. John Wayne, several years later, died of cancer and like, all the cast and crew did. Yeah. Oh, bloody hell. So the film literally killed her. It didn't, yeah. They, um, and I, I believe they even for, for scenes they did in studio, they imported sand from the location, oh, God. radioactive material to the sets. 
I, I, I'm fairly certain that's true. Someone I, loves health and safety. It's insane, man. So not only is it, is it the, the most strangely awful racist portrayal in the history of Hollywood, which is saying something. That's like that's an achievement in itself. It killed its crew and cast. Yeah. Like, probably. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> May have been associated. So watch up. I'll add, um, I can't remember the name of the film. I think it's called like, The Warrior or something like that. Uh, uh, yeah, put that. I'm scared of this film already. Just, uh, just uh, during our break before we review Bill and Ted, get some, we'll get some clips up, okay. <laughs> and, you can, and we'll just film your face. <laughs> but, um, um, we, need, we need to do a, like a discussion one day on like incredibly bad casting, like the, the worst kind of worst cast choices made I mean, possibly. Like, normally, I mean, Keanu Reeves in Dracula springs to mind, but at least he's not being offensive in it. <laughs> He's he's just trying so hard doing an English accent and failing. That's awful. Yeah. Anyway, as always, you can let us know your thoughts about the films we've covered by emailing us at filmraw at bunkerzilla.co.uk. Right, that's our cinematic week over and done with. Let's go on a rather excellent our bogus journey with some guys called Bill and Ted now. It's time for our main review. Bill, Ted, enough of the delusions. You didn't time travel and you didn't go to heaven and hell. Here's a real idea for you. Be role models to your daughters. Get real jobs. Bill, we've spent our whole life trying to unite the world. And I'm tired, dude. Ted, we have a destiny to fulfill. Greetings, my excellent friend. We have a problem. Step forward. A song created by Preston Logan, performed tonight, will save reality as we know it. Oh. Dude, we better write that song now. Or why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? And take it from ourselves. Except, won't that be stealing? Cheers! <laughs> How is that stealing? If we're stealing it from ourselves, dude. So, as Bill and Ted face the music hits UK cinemas, we thought it was a good idea to kind of revisit the trilogy as a whole. Now, obviously, Bill and Ted's journeys started back in 1989 with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It was then followed up with a sequel in 1991 with Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. And it's taken a very long time for us to get to Face the Music. So, Face the Music basically catches up with Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, as obviously Bill and Ted. And they have... Which? uh, Keanu is Ted and uh, Alex Winters Bill <laughs> well done but yes Bill, Bill and Ted have uh, since the conclusion of the second film Bogus Journey um, they've had a little bit of moderate success but it has still gone horribly wrong for them and they still have not written the song that brings the universe together in perfect harmony uh, they are now married to the wonderful princesses Then they met in the very first one Excellent Adventure they have daughters as well who are <laughs> eager into music as well and uh, yeah it's still just not clicking so uh, when they are told they have to come up with the the world changing sort of the universe changing song within 70 minutes or face the end of time and space uh, I've just th- realised face the music's a real time movie yeah 
Yeah, it's like twenty, like twenty-four. <laughs> just, I, I thought I thought you realised this, but we were. No, no, no I, I realised as I'm watching it, but I've only just now appreciate the fact that it's a, it's the whole story set in about ninety minutes, <laughs> despite the fact that there is so much time travelling. Uh, okay, yeah. okay, that's really but, cool. But yeah, that, but, yeah, sorry, go on. But yes, that is the basis of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, obviously, these the iconic roles that. That many, well, it's one of the iconic roles for Keanu Reeves because obviously a young, fresh faced Keanu Reeves was in the first two films and now he's gone on to things like Speed, The Matrix, and John Wick. So, uh, and obviously now he is the internet darling of all darlings. What, basically, fav- everyone's favorite immortal. Everyone's favorite Keanu. <laughs> everyone's favorite Keanu. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, we've, we decided we'd take a look at all three films in uh, this week. So we've we've both revisited the first two and we've both go kind of went to the cinema today to see face the face the music. Um so yeah, I mean but it, I mean it's like the first Bill and Ted one, uh excellent adventure. Um I remember this one more than I did Bogus Journey. Same. Um I used, and to, I, I used and, to watch the first one quite a bit as a kid. And I yeah I, I think I think we had the film recorded off uh, off TV many, 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 many years ago when VHS was still a thing. I think I did as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, I think the thing is we we were talking in the run in before we were going into the screen about the Bill and Ted franchise. Now a lot of now when you go when you revisit films or big film series or cultish film series, it's always it's always a it's always a cautious cautious approach. And I think from my experience with seeing people rant and rave about Ghostbusters, rant and rant and rave and praise all the things about Back to the Future. It's like I I, I get those films. I I I appreciate those films, but it's sometimes the fandom is well, in itself puts it on a higher pedestal than higher pedestal. Deserves. Yeah. I don't remember that much for Bill and Ted. Obviously there is a every anytime Keanu Reeves is thinking about going back to different projects, everyone t- talk, oh, talks about Bill and Ted Free. I mean Bill and Ted Free was always on on discussions ever since I think he became he came back into prominence obviously with John Wick mm. I think that was one of the things he's like oh he's still got it maybe we could do a Bill and Ted and so forth um, which again I think I wasn't opposed to to be honest no I mean watching the first two movies I definitely felt like there was a need for a, it didn't feel like the story had been told um, or that there was something <sighs> I didn't feel a third film would be unwelcomed and I, in a strange way, I actually think this third movie kind of retrospectively ties things together quite well. Because, mm. um, I mean, should we just talk about the three films? Just, yeah, yeah, we'll just talk about it generally. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I did not take to Bogus Journey at all. No, not, I, nor did I, to so, be honest. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed Excellent Adventure. Mm. I don't think the first Bill and Ted movie is as good as its fan base thinks it is um it's it's certainly charming mm. and it's it's a very i mean it's it's a dumb movie but it's an endearingly dumb movie yeah this is this is the thing i mean you can have comedies where the main characters are are not smart they're not no. dumb to to its credit bill and ted seem like reasonable reasonable teens and they seem <laughs> they're, they, really, they're, they're really cool they're, they're cool they're, they're, they there's an element of good to them they're not nasty attention seeker right. like that they're just dreamers they want to be a great rock band with wild stallions and stuff like that and there's not it's not it doesn't they are very likeable characters yeah. in all three films they are likeable a- characters absolutely and and Winters and Reeves their, their, their performances are very charismatic I mean mm. like um, with Keanu Reeves he's very much 
it's very role dependent whether or not he, you know, he's excellent. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel, I feel like um, in this film, in the, these films, he's, he's, he's pretty spot on. I think the casting mm. is great. Um, yeah, you, you can't help but fall in love with them. Yeah. And I, I, I do feel like, the, I don't feel like the films are stupid. I feel mm. like the films are, they're being quite clever with their stupidness. If that yes. makes sense. And the films are winking at, with, you know, at the audience and, you know, saying like, we know this is silly, but come yeah. along with us, you know. And it, it, it's, they're all three of them are, are fairly inoffensive. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I, I, they have a great heart, um, a great soul. Um, I just, I don't think, I don't think the comedy is as good as it could be, especially the the first one. I appreciated a lot more than the second one because I felt like I, I feel like the tone shift between the two movies is a bit too jarring. It's very, yeah, it's very. Because the first one is effectively it's it's a parody of Doctor Who. Hmm. Um, I mean, they even have a TARDIS, which is the same size inside than out as it is outside of yeah. the phone booth. Yeah, and um, you know, and, and George Carlin, who plays Rufus. He, he sort of, he, his performance kind of really helps in sort of grounding the movie down. Yeah. It, it adds a it adds a level of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of like gravitas. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, I mean, he's, he's obviously his he's background is stand up comedy, and he's quite um, mm. his um, his, his stand up's pretty vicious at times. Actually, I do recommend his work. Mm. But um, yeah, he he definitely brings uh, adds something to the role that um mm. that the Bill and Ted characters couldn't do. Just because of the design, of the characters. I think what I what I like about Excellent Adventure is it the the nice thing about all three films are they are very short. They are all they're ninety uh, minutes each. All of them about ninety minutes each. And Excellent Adventure is very breezy. It's very yeah. Breezy. The pacing's very good. It jumps between. I mean, it's it's a very simple. We take the the, the 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 from a meta level. I love the idea of the the <laughs> these two characters being the um the reason why. The um, humanity is able to achieve a Star Trek esque utopian <laughs> society. I mean, it's it, it, it's very funny. I yeah. mean, just the idea, like, um, like if you were to create the character, if you were to write characters that would cause peace and harmony for all time, you wouldn't write Bill and Ted. No, but like, <laughs> so that, the, the 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 one joke that the whole series is based on works really well. Yeah. Um. So that that that's good, and it, they play it for laughs. Mm. I like the idea of them, you know, I like the idea that small moments can have huge ripple effects yeah. in, in, you know, in a person's timeline. And it's, it's a, it's a common trope in a lot of time oh, yeah, science fictions. Yeah. Um, but it, it's done very well. I like the idea. It's, it's a, it's um, a grade in history class, yeah. which is the problem. Lust, the need for time travel. And it is, it's great fun seeing them like shove mm. Napoleon, in a tiny phone booth Grabbing, or Socrates or, 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 uh, or Sigmund Freud Sigmund or, or Billy the yeah. Kid and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So that when it, it becomes it does become quite episodic it's, it, it feels more like an elongated sketch show yeah the first one okay. and I, I think that's a, I, I do feel like it, it's the first Bill and Ted movie there are a lot of good ideas there's some great gags um, the character the characters are fun um, but it's it. I don't think the film is as good as its ideas as a whole I feel, I feel like it's a little bit unfocused. Okay. Um, but saying that, it's I still it's st- I would still recommend it. I think it's it's got I think it's 
the sort of cult following it's developed over the years is is, is deserved. Mm. Um, and if it's definitely a case of if I find out anyone hasn't watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, I, I would I'd strongly pursue, you know, yeah. would strongly persuade them to watch it. Yeah. Um, and if you like Excellent Adventure, you could probably skip Bogus and go straight well, to face the music. This, this is the problem. I mean, but then uh, excellent. This is the thing. If I hadn't seen Face the Music, yeah, I would have just focused on the original film because yeah. I don't think Bogus Journey works particularly well see it's it's, it's it's the problem is excellent adventure is a parody of science fiction mm. bogus journey is more fantasy yeah so we're going from parodying doctor who or or, or like other things like that or back to the future yeah you know, um or even terminator um to a degree and then it goes to p- the sequel is effectively a parody of the seventh seal Mm. Um, with the character of death playing games against him, and then rather than going through time, Bill and Ted end up going in hell and yeah. heaven. And that's the that's the weird thing that stuck out like a sore thumb for me with Bogus Journey. This is a sequel to a time traveling comedy, and there is very little time traveling hit done in Bogus Journey. Basically, it's Bill and Ted get bumped off by future version or future robotic versions of themselves and it gets into hell and they have and, to try and crawl their way back. And the ro- the robot versions of Bill and Ted, they, they are irritating. I didn't find them particularly. Yeah. It, do you really want to watch... The, the reason why the first Bill and Ted movie works quite well is Bill and Ted. Yeah. That, that, that Bill and Ted are the selling point mm. of the characters because it's just, the, the, throwing those characters into that situation is, is amusing and the, mm. the, like I've said the performances are really charming um, so spending a lot of screen time watching evil versions of the character because the, the plot of the second one is basically there is a although the future is utopian mm. for some reason um, someone someone doesn't like the, the rock and roll peace and love thing who used to be Rufus's teacher? Oh, so, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's some, never really explained. Bollocks. It's it's crap because in the world that's built in the first film, there would be no reason for a character like this to emerge within that, that no. setting, that environment. Because like <laughs> humanity has achieved universal peace. Hmm, this is not good enough. Only I can. Well, what, is, what is the aside from yeah the, the motivations don't it's really like work. I don't like I hate it that 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 great actually the, the, the whole you know the air guitar bit is done mm. far too much in the sequel it's almost every two minutes they do it yeah like and it becomes it, it, what what's amusing in the first film becomes really irritating in the second mm. film so you have this strange despotic um nihilist I don't know if he's a nihilist but you don't, don't you know dictator figure emerging in a society where that shouldn't happen plotting to change history by killing Bill and Ted is basically Terminator yeah they become John Connor um sends evil robots in themselves it's it's just a bit the, these films are clearly a series of ideas that um Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon have come up like mm. in various states of intox- <laughs> intoxication from what we, that's what I'd guess mm. um uh, I mean, the, the, these do, yeah. Um, and it's just, I, I, I think, although the first film, there's a lot of ideas thrown at the wall, it, there's still enough of, co- there's still a sense of cohesion just about where you kind of, it gets over the finish line. Yeah. Okay. The second one is it's just a bit too, um, um, uh, just a bit all over the place really, isn't it's, it? It's there's convoluted, no, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, there's no real... Um, well, there's no, yeah, there's, there isn't any 
there isn't any story cohesion. It's just, yeah. it, it's, I hate using this word, but it, it's random. Mm. It's too random. Um, you, you jump from that plot element to going to hell and, and then meeting the Grim Reaper. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also like, again, it's kind of like, there are little bits from the first film, which are fine because they're like one-off. It's like, well, after the after our big, big presentation, we should go back in time and make sure we set this all up. That little joke I like. That's, yeah, that's that, quite that, funny. That's, that's quite clever. But it gets, it gets sillier. It just gets really stupid when we get to the second one because they just go, oh, we'll just do this again. Oh, it's all been solved. <laughs> so like, Stephen Moffat, um, he, he wrote a Doctor Who episode for Kill a Comic Relief years ago called The Curse of Fatal Death. Mm. A few years after this, with Rowan Atkinson playing the Doctor. Mm. And that, that Stephen Moffat parodies that idea because the, the Doctor and the Master constantly fall into traps that they mm. they will set up after the story. And yeah. it's, it's done because it's so, it's so stupid. Mm. The problem of it being done in this film um, is the fact that it's actually, it's a resolution to quite a serious moment. Yeah. It's not really played for laughs or doesn't feel that way because obviously there's, there is a threat in this character. This, mm. this What's the name of the villain in the second film? I don't film? know. I, can't, I, I, don't think, I can't remember his name actually being... <laughs> I can't remember the actor who plays him. He's quite a famous chap as well. He's um, it just the one for the Pet Shop Boys music video. Ah, oh. hang on, I'm gonna. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, um, it's just why you why you look at there. It's like in terms of, I think the first one is like I said we said earlier. It's 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 dumb, but that it's good natured silly fun. And I think if you haven't seen it or you vaguely remember it still worth checking out. It's very likeable. Um, my, <laughs> I think the only thing I, uh, I think when I've enjoyed a film too much, I sort of, I always kind of look into like some of the more ludicrous uh, explanations of things. And my bi- my biggest issue with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was how were they able to get such wonderful stage choreography when it came to the final presentation? They've just <laughs> rushed from a police station to the school hall and they're able to put on um, an amazing, like, thir- 20, clearly an, a nearly 30, 40 minute presentation yeah. where they've been able to cue lights and, and sparklers and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, no, you've just rushed to get your. <laughs> your thing all sorted. It's yeah. It's, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it, 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 it does feel like we're picking holes in something that is not meant to be taken so seriously. But there yeah. are, I, I do think the second film suffers from that a lot worse. Yeah, the, the second, yeah, the second film just it just it just doesn't. Yeah, there's, there's something with the second film that just doesn't click for me. No, and there and there, there are little moments that I do like. I like the sort of. Hellish visions. I mean, even Alex Winter got makeuped up to be his granny in the the horror. Alice oh, that's Alex I Winter. Didn't re- I didn't realize that, that. was Alex yeah. Winter as well as, as that, evil grandma. That's the thing. There are moments that do impress in Bogus Journey, but as a coherent piece, it doesn't it's a, work. No. It's just too disparate. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's Joss Ackland is what I was thinking of. He plays Chuck Denomalous. Ah, uh, that's that's, yeah, yeah. that's his name. Yeah, he, he's he's. He's been in hundreds of movies, but he's he's, he's got a famous baritone well, he's, well, he's voice. He's clearly a memorable villain if we couldn't remember his bloody name. Oh gosh! And <laughs> the, the one thing as well, I I think the second film looks worse than the first film, even though it's two years as two years has passed. Now, the art direction is the, the costumes, yeah. the future look hideous. Oh god! Like like not intent, not by design, but they just like look giant, really sho- bad. giant shoulder pads. It's just, everything looks like it's been cut out of um. 
um, like polyethane, like you know the stuff you, yeah. you shove, you fill couches with. Mm. It's that cut up in various shapes, and it just looks ugly. Mm. The future in the first film looked great. Yeah, like it looked really even, cool. Even in the in the new one, and the new right. one, the fe- yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just yeah, the second one seems to have been a real strange misstep. Yeah, I know a lot of people. A lot of fans of the second one seem to like the deaf character as well. Yeah, played by William Sadler. Yeah, but I found him really annoying. Um, mm. Just sort of like the strange neediness and like mm. um, unwilling. <laughs> oh, I, d- I don't know. It just felt. I felt like a, 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 a joke stretched a bit too thin for me. Mm. Um, and I don't think deaf looked very good as well. Like it clearly, it looked a bit too much like a guy in makeup. Mm. Uh, well, maybe that maybe that might have been kind of like the joke of it. Intentional, like, like oh, look how silly Deaf looks. Deaf's not that scary. He's just a guy who's just very bad at playing games like Battleship or yeah. Clue or and Twister. I, and, and I know it's, meant, it's it's riffing off the Seventh Seal as I mentioned mm. earlier, but um, it's just yeah, I just don't think it works very well, and um, it kind of comes together right at the end. Yeah. Get, get Kiss playing again, the same song. God, God gave rock and roll to, to you. Don't sing anymore because Gene Simmons will turn up yeah, but, expecting uh, uh, a check yeah. from us. <laughs> that, that man likes money. Mm. But <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I, I think the second one is just too ugly, not that funny. Just a. Hang on. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the second one, it, it, it loses its charm. It's just a bit. For a film that's ninety minutes long, it felt a lot longer. Yeah, especially towards the sort of like the the set, the, the third act. Mm. I kind of I lost interest. Yeah, like I said, I kind of I kind of checked out towards the end because it was like it's it's like I get it's like okay, I can understand the journey from hell up to heaven, and then you've got something I don't get the station thing. All the sta- station, station puppets. Was, yeah, I, I, I forgot about that as well. Yeah, so not only do you, do you have the sort of you have the time traveling science fiction element, you have the fantasy religious element of heaven and hell, and the yeah. grim, the medieval image of the Grim Reaper, and then you throw aliens into the fold, aliens which are in heaven, so they have to go to heaven to meet aliens who have died, presumably for the grim the grim reaper has to break into heaven in order to restore yeah. the souls of these characters so there's just there's just there's some Ill, <laughs> there's some illogical illogical thought processes here yeah there's, there's not much terms yeah the, the, while the first film is is a, a in, in by design stupid movie at least mm. there's a logic to it yeah and the time traveling element works yes. and it plays with it well yes um there isn't really much of a logic in the sequel. I mm. don't feel um, it's just too many, too many ideas thrown about the place. That well, kind of, it's very jarring. But let's let's move on, obviously, because Face the Music's oh, the latest release. Well, that, that's the point. Going back to my earlier point, so I would have, if I hadn't seen Face the Music, I would have just recommended the first film mm. and say ignore the second film. The third film does a really good job of retrospectively marrying these awkward themes together yeah i feel and now it in it now feels like a a, a not fantastic trilogy but it feels like a, a, at least a satisfying yeah trilogy yeah absolutely yeah would you would you feel that way i i think we're facing the music um i think face the music for what i was expecting i was pleasantly amused for the for the 90 minutes to be honest. I, I think i laughed more in this than watching the first film 
I think I think so too. I think I, I laughed a lot more. <laughs> yeah, I think the j- jokes definitely hit. The daughter characters are great. Yeah, absolutely. They are wonderful additions <laughs> to, the, to the to the canon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's just like the the camera. The, they're obviously the, the um the um actresses are emulating hmm. uh, um, Alex Winters and Keanu Reeves, but they, they're also kind of bringing. They're basically just smart versions of Bill and Ted. Yeah, there's like the, it's, like the, it's like the music, the musically <laughs> astute. Well, that's, well that's, because because the, they just reel off musical knowledge, just like I, that. I, will, I will say. That I think uh, for the three films, the dialogue is a lot sharper in face the music. Yes, um, the, the quantum theory discussions with um, I can't remember the name. The um, the the rapper, yeah, the rapper, Kid Cudi. Yeah, I'm not familiar with his work. Um, yeah, so you've got Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy Payne ba- basically playing. Um, uh, Theodora Preston, mm. and then and Will Wilhelmina Logan. <laughs> um, so like Fia and Billy, um, mm. they're basically playing um, their versions of their dads. If they were a lot, they've they've taken their mother's intelligence. They've got their mother's intelligence. Yeah, their their dad's passion, personalities. Their dad's passion for music, passion as well. for music yeah. and kindness and like um and the, yeah so they're basing the performances on on Reeves and Winters and it's 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 brilliant it's mm. it's it, it's very good they're very complimentary they have become a cool little sort of like um it's the cool little four way dance between them that I really yeah. enjoyed um and um yeah the the dialogue is definitely sharper especially from from the the daughters yeah the um uh, I can't remember. His name. Oh yeah, Kid Cudi. He plays. <laughs> he plays a musical figure who's thrown from the timeline as well. He yeah. even makes a joke about that. But he's probably contemporary. Yeah. And he, for some reason, his character is also an expert on quantum theory and <laughs> the, 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 the conversations they have and how the time travel actually works as reality implodes in, into itself is very funny. Mm. Like I really appreciated that. It's, it, yeah. it was, it, again, it was good tongue in cheek. It's like mm. very playful. It, it knows. Oh, it's like I was saying in the first film, it's a clever dumb movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's a dumb movie made by clever people. And I really like that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like again, it's like there's 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 somewhat there's a little joy of watching like Bill and Ted grown up. Yes. <laughs> <as well. laughs> it's like because the film starts off at um at Ted's uh yeah, Ted's brother's wedding to Missy and I just thought that was <laughs> that was a wonderful link to the previous two yep. films where Missy, who was originally Bill's stepmom, then, then became Ted's stepmom. Or was it the other way around? No, it's Ted's yeah, 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 Ted stepmom, yeah. and then she's dumped Ted's dad to marry. Ted's brother. Your brother. Yeah, it's a little bit Woody Allen, isn't it's, it? It's, it's a bit awkward, but it was pretty funny. Oh, and um, yeah, the, I, I liked moments like that. Yeah. I, I love the, I love, so the, the fi- hist- historical figures, they mm. chose to be the greatest musicians of all time. Kid mm. Cudi included. You have um, Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, Mozart, mm. um, uh, Ling Lun, who I'm not familiar with. I imagine it's a mythological familiar, yeah. Yeah. Um, Chinese musical figure. And, um, and a sort of a prehistoric um, um, African called Grom, who's basically the first percussionist in mm. history. And, and just having them all together and play music was great. Yeah. I, actually, I actually thought... Yeah, I, I don't want to. We can't really. I don't want to go. I don't want to talk about the end of the film. Obviously, no, 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 no spoilers. But um, yeah, it's see, it's frustrating because you know what? There, there are despite my criticisms of the second film, mm. I think there are good things in each movie. Um, 
and each movie is kind of there are good things from each movie that is distinct from each other yeah. film. Yeah. Um, like I, I do think some of the ideas in the second film are very good. It's just they, I don't think they work well together. Executed. I think the execution yeah, was a bit muddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, I wasn't particularly impressed by the art direction. Yeah. And, um, um, I, I think I think the just the, the story of the first one is probably the best story. Mm. It's definitely the neatest. Mm. I, I think I think the third one, if I'm going to criticize it, is a bit convoluted, and. It doesn't really feel the need to explain. It feels like the third one feel, sets up a lot of clever time travel, yeah, um, escapades, and you certainly see there is certainly more time travel here. Mm. Um, as Bill and Ted, it's not really a spoiler. It's it's been in the trailer and it's separated. Right? Basically, they go to the point where they need to write the song that will unite the world. Yeah. So they decide, because they, they've been struggling to write it for 25 years, they decide to go into the future to take it from themselves because <laughs> it's not stealing if you're stealing, stealing from, from yourself. Ah. Yeah. So watching them go further and further forward in time and meeting various versions of themselves it, it, it is amusing. Mm. Watching the, but the film never really explains whether or not it, they're parallel realities, or yeah. they are, or they are set in stone, concrete yeah. futures. Because the first movie, it, it's it's a self-contained trail time travel yeah. movie. Everything, yeah, kind of similar to Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's frustrating because yeah. I I don't feel like the third one. I don't think it's it didn't feel complete as a movie to me. Mm. It felt almost the ending feels very rushed it just kind of it just kind of yeah. ended for me it's like here's in credits yeah I was I was, I was half expecting a, a post a sort like, of mid-credits scene to sort of tie up a few of the threads that the, the mm. film f- set up um, I'd be fascinated to see if there's any deleted scenes that would like yeah. make like bring out more of the story but it's frustrating because I actually think Face the Music overall is a better film than 1 and 2 mm. But one, and, but one is a more satisfying, complete movie. Yeah. Than um, than three, but three, it's just there's just all mixed bags. Yeah. Mixed bags for different reasons. It's really mm. it's really frustrating. Um, but I guess the overall thought process here, if you're looking at, if you're thinking about looking back at all three films, I think in terms of trilogies. They're not bad. It's not a bad. It's not a bad set of movies. No, no, and I, I don't. I do feel me. I feel a bit mean being overly critical of these films because mm. they are. They are. They do. They are fun. Mm. I mean, I, and I love those characters. Yeah. Like the Bill and Ted characters are just a delight to watch. Even 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 when I was like tapping out of the second film, I, I was still. I was still partly invested in it yeah and even though i i've come away from face to music a bit unsatisfied i still enjoyed watching it yeah yeah i mean the, the jokes worked mm. um whether or not the the time traveling element i don't think worked as mm. well as it did in the first movie i think i think a strength as well is reeves and winter are game in the third one they're they're, yeah. they're happy to be there and you can see they're they're, they're giving it their best. Yeah, I don't. I they, they. I didn't feel that from the second movie. No, maybe because they were, effect, they were playing villainous versions of themselves. Yeah. for the majority of it. Maybe the balance was, maybe when they were playing good and evil, is like it. It kind of. It sounds weird, but it's like there. There's no clear cut way of saying okay. They're playing the true versions of themselves. Mm. 
that does I, I know that doesn't is not going to sound like it makes sense to people listening and people watching but it's just kind of perhaps if it's a bit of an overload of two drastic extremes of them so you've got the good bill and ted you've got the bad bill and ted and when you're kind of overwhelmed with all of it throughout the duration of the 90 minutes it could probably be a bit more overwhelming there yeah whereas probably whereas with face the music you've got you still got bill and ted for most of the film but the versions they meet are obviously of from the future they're not always there <laughs> and and they are distinctly different as yeah, well yeah and it, it, they are fun they are really fun yeah. scenes going in the future <laughs> like um, that, that but the problem is those scenes again without giving too much of the story away those scenes feel like they're setting something up mm. they're setting a a clever time traveling reveal which mm. never materializes yeah and that's really frustrating. And like, mm. um, it, I just, I feel like there's a chunk of that movie that wasn't shown to me, mm. um, which is a shame because I do, I do feel like it comes together. The rev- the resolution of the third movie does tie everything up, mm. in effect. Um, you know, the, I, I won't, I won't, I won't say any more than that because you know that obviously it's, <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically. So, as a as a trilogy as a whole, I feel like it is satisfying, even though the f- each the final film, as a, as as it stands as itself, isn't. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> if I broken your brain, I don't know. <laughs> You're saying the third film as a as, as an MP as, as, as no, the third film as it on its own. I feel like doesn't quite work, but paradoxically, the third film thrown onto the first two movies, seen as a whole, mm. kind of works. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. I see. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I kind of, I think. Right. So the, the only film that really works as a whole is the first one. Mm. The second one doesn't really work at all, and kind of. It makes it a really awkward duology. The third one works better than the second one, um, but it's still quite unsatisfying. But paradoxically, it actually brings the whole trilogy round together and makes it a bit more satisfying. Okay, this I, I, I know what I'm. I know I'm babbling on, but it's, yeah. it's really no, no, hard. No, no, it's really sense. hard to like explain. I can't think of a similar so series. So basically. The the your well, take take going back to another time travel series. Take Terminator, right? Yes. So the the, the original duology is perfect, mm. right? You cannot. Then Terminator Three comes along, and it all if if you don't ignore it as a film, which mm. I've been doing for a long time, <laughs> like <laughs> it retrospectively, um, um, it retrospectively um, detracts. From the quality of the original movies, yeah, um, the Alien franchise is having a similar similar problem. Yeah, since, since free onwards, yeah, yeah, and, no, that makes sense. Yeah, and every, every Alien, every subsequent Alien movie has taken something away from the original two, yeah. the original duology. With That's Bill, fair. Yeah, with what I'm trying to say with Bill and Ted is that the sequel, Bogus Journey, took something away from the original. Mm-hmm. So, if because if the first film was just the only film. That would probably be better than the situation mm. we are in. Yeah. But whatever, we ha- we got a sequel, and it kind of because it didn't really work. It took it took something away from the original. This third film restores the prestige of the trilogy as a whole. Okay, 
So I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm moving, I'm going along with you. So I'm yeah, just going to go. So we're going yeah. for a third film. So second film takes something away. Third film brings repairs something, the damage. Uh, repairs the damage. But, but it's still, still, missing quite, something. still missing something. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, no, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, do, do, did you feel that way as well? Um, my, my thought process with the film is overall, I think it works. I think as a prequel, it works. It works. I see. I like what it did in trying to connect to the previous two. Well, it definitely it, mar- it marries the sort of science fiction yeah. and the fantasy elements. Yeah, it does together quite well. It does. I still think you're right. That just that it feels like it just ends, and you need just like a, a, a calm down from like the finale. Five or something. ten minute breather. Five, yeah, five ten minute breather. Just a nice little wrap up, and then we can party on, rock on, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think the only. I think the only thing that started to sort of bear on my mind as as the story unfolds for the third one is there are a lot of side characters in this, and <laughs> some of them are fun. Some of them Mozart's great. Yeah, yeah. The music, the music, the music figures they they meet and are, are great. They're wonderful. It's like there are certain ones. Someone called Dennis, oh, the robot, <laughs> who starts to really great after a while. Yeah, it, it, again, it's, it's it's kind of like it's a similar problem to the to Bogus Journey with like um um the Sta- station, station, the yeah. alien, and yeah. and the Grim Reaper. I think they would have had a better um the 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 um um sorry, I'm just stuttering a little bit. I think they would have it, the whole. It should have taken it less is more approach. Yeah, I think if they were if they were briefer, it would have been funnier. But the mm. problem is that they they don't know when to drop the joke. Yeah, and um, yeah, so that's because you could yeah because you could have probably still because you still have there's still a use for the Dennis robot character. The thing is, is like once you've gone over a line, it's kind of there needs to be something of merit to keep that character yeah, around it, and it I really outstays its welcome yeah, after outstays, a it's outstay I know it I know it's supposed to link back to jokes regarding uh Kristen Scholl's character who's the daughter of Rufus and all that sort of stuff and and yeah it's nice it? yeah Kristen Scholl was quite nice in that yeah she's she, it's, it's, it's fine I don't think it's a she's reliable she, yeah, she's, she's yeah, very that, reliable that's, that's the best way to describe it yeah um but yeah I think again it's like the thing is with even with X and Adventure yeah she had all these different figures but they weren't over they weren't. They, all, the film knew how to use them and when to use them. Yeah, it's like, for example, it's like it's like you have. I mean, there's a great scene in in the first one where uh, Socrates and Billy the Kid are <laughs> are in a food court and they're kind of, I, they're obviously kind of making eyes with a pair of young ladies, and obviously they go to introduce themselves and then Sigmund Freud turns up to go, oh, hello, I'm Sigmund Freud. I, I learn all about the fascinations of psychology and, and the girls run away, away. And it's like that little joke moment's there. Whereas with, with Face the Music, they take that one character and that one sort of awkward punchline and they keep popping it up in uh, repeatedly throughout the final third of the film. And like first time or second time, yeah, it's all right. It's funny. It's like by the time he's the twelfth time. Yeah, by the twelfth time, yeah, it's kind of like it's outstayed its welcome. And I think it's it's little things like that. I think hold face the music back from being probably the best one in the, in the series. Yeah, I think I think as well. Obviously, having 
having had more acting experience under the belts, Winter and Reeves do go, do do the best they can with the material, and I think that's and I think that's commendable. And to be honest, consi- like I said, considering I wasn't expecting much from this. It wasn't bad. I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. There, 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 like I've said at the start of this this section, there have been other attempts to go back to popular franchises to make something, and it does not end well. Or you get something... I mean, we saw a trailer for Ghostbusters Afterlife. Like I said, I know there are Ghostbusters fans there, and people and they're, they're, they're entitled to enjoy the franchise, they're entitled to enjoy the fandom. No issues with that. I'm not a fan of Ghostbusters. I generally do not see why it's such a cultish movie. Yeah, I mean, a bit of a tangent, but I, I'm, I've, yeah, I didn't quite get the Ghostbusters thing, to be honest. Mm. I mean, like, I, I, I understand. I've enjoyed the first one. Um, the second one is a bit crap. Mm. Uh, I thought the remake was awful. Um, mm. but not for the reasons that other people hate it. I just think it was a badly written film. Mm. That, actually, my problem with the the all female Ghostbusters was that it was effectively a, a plot by plot remake of the first Ghostbusters movie with weaker comedy actors. <laughs> then, because okay. was, uh, yeah, was at least with um, at least with like um, Dan Aykroyd and uh, Bill Murray. And the other two whose names mm. I can't remember. Uh, uh, Howard Ramis and Eddie Hudson. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yep. Um, th- there was a, they, a good comedy mm. chemistry between them. I, I find the cast in the, the 2016, they just do nothing but scream all the way through it and get louder and louder and louder. Mm. And Melissa McCarthy in particular, I think is unbearable. Gustin mm. um, Rick, she's kind of, I, I, I liked her the most, but she was just kind of, there wasn't much of a character there. Yeah, I, it's like I, I've watched it once. I didn't mind it, but it's it was, again, again, yeah. it's like again, it felt the, pointless. I just why was the, I, I watched it thinking why does this film exist? It's like I, I, I think the question for me is why? Why is Ghostbusters such a big thing? It's like, and I'm, I'm not, again, I'm trying to say this in is, in, uh, is in your mind. main is your main criticism like nostalgia glasses? Nostalgia it goggles, possibly might yeah. be nostalgia goggles on this one. It's just like I said, I've. I appreciate. I mean, I watched the real Ghostbusters cartoon. I enjoyed it for what it was when I was very, very young. It's not something I hunt out to watch and relive my childhood days. I mean, happy Transformers, happy GI Joe, happy Bucky O'Hare. Did you? But... Did you watch the Bill and Ted cartoon? I remember the Bill and yes. Ted cartoon. I actually went and watched the opening sequence after watching the first one. And Bill was... and Ted's excellent adventure. It was. It was, it was like, all right. It's like it was... this. It's like the the challenge is they have to pass every history exam or something like that. So it's like, oh, we've got to go back to. It's it's the it's the only film. Children's cartoon spin-off of a film in that period from a film that children could have watched themselves. <laughs> well, Back to the Future. Oh yeah, that had a cartoon as well. Yeah, oh, it did. No. Yeah, I yeah. forgot Christopher Lloyd was in that. He, he was in like the live action. He did the cameos at the beginning. He did the live action bits. Yeah. Dan Castanella played him. Yeah, because he always does the voice. Yeah, it's, it's basically thing. if you need a, a popular movie character just redone, just get Dan <laughs> Castanella. Did it for Aladdin with the genie? So. Yes, he did. He did. Um, yeah. But three. Yeah, let, yeah. Let's yeah. Let's do star ratings. So let's say so because um, we were talking star ratings before we went into face the music. Um, I. I would be happy to give Excellent Adventure three point three and a half. I was thinking more four, um, because I, I, I don't. Mm. It's not. It's not perfect. I I don't think it's as good as its um, as its most ardent fans think it is. However, I still think it's quite. 
it's quite a special little film mm. and it is fun. And it's like I say, it's, 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 it's stupid, but it's clever, stupid. And I like that. I mean, um, I, I'm happy to go three and a half if you, if you want to stick to three and a half, but I do feel like it's a mm. little bit better than that. Mm. Like, okay. We'll go four. You sure? Yeah, we'll go four. Cool. Four stars. Four. Four stars. <laughs> Throw it out there. Four stars but on the screen right now. Excellent star rating. Yes. Four. Excellent. No, uh, what about bogus? Two, I, 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 I'm thinking two. I am. Um, I'm with you on that too. I can't. It's like a bit I do like, but it's. I don't know. It's just I just didn't feel for this film. No, same. I just yeah. didn't connect to it. Yeah. So two star, two stars for Bogus Journey. Face the music. That's because the ending is so abrupt, and it's left me a bit frustrated that I didn't get more of the story that it feels like was being set up. Yeah. Uh, despite being, I think, the funniest of the three movies mm. and having the better characters and performances, mm. I'd say three stars. Oh, because I'm thinking more to three, four, three and a half again. I'll say three and a half. I'm Are you three happy saying three and a half? I'm happy three and a half, yeah. yeah. Okay. It, yeah, it's more. It's more. I'm more a bit disappointed in the film. I'm not angry at the film. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> the, there are there are great positives to take from the face of the music. Yeah, but obviously there are some niggles that kind of just hold it back from being just as good as the original. Yeah, so it could, yeah. It could have been better. It, 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 it feels like there was a better movie there that's mm. just for whatever reason just didn't didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So basically, it's a decent little trilogy. Um, yeah. So four, two, and three and a half. Which is uh, my credit card pin. (laughs) Buy all your PlayStation pre-orders now, boys and girls. Buy them. Buy Buy them. them. Buy them now. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, with that in mind, it is almost time to end. Thank you very much for watching this episode of Film Raw. Hope you enjoyed the discussions. As always, your thoughts on the movies that we've covered, email us at filmraw at bunkerzer.co.uk. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and of course, Twitch with Bunkerzilla UK. And you can also experience the full series of film world the audio versions as well because we did this as an audio podcast all the way up until a couple of uh, a couple two of months, months ago about two months ago you can go to bungzilla.co.uk to catch up on the series or check all good podcast providers like apple spotify and google and the bad ones well those are the nice popular ones <laughs> but um yes um so Next episode, um, we're in a bit of a, a flux really at the moment because what? Um, there's, no, there's no major releases. We yeah. might there might be another lockdown, so yeah. we're, we're probably start streaming we're going, we're, yeah. away from each other again. Yeah, so we'll probably be we will still be doing video film roll and audio film film roll. So the show is going to continue. So don't worry about don't worry about the fate of film roll. It's ca- it's carrying on. It's just probably in a few weeks' time. Yeah, we, we need we need to have a bit of a thinking uh, yeah uh, yeah so well i would say we if anything we'll be looking at stream releases again i mean there's been quite a few new ones that we haven't watched like uh there's the tom holland robert patterson one that's on netflix uh the devil uh, i think it's devils all the time yeah. that one's there we've got project power which we were going to review and we haven't had the chance to chance to review um i think there's one or two new disney plus films coming in as well um there's a documentary about i think howard menkel who does, who's one of the lyricists for things like Beauty and the Beast and yes. stuff like that. So that might be something worth checking out. But of course, 
If you've got a great film recommendation that you would like us to sort of look and review, then do let us know. Again, filmrockbunkers.co.uk is the place to tell us. So don't worry, we are still going to be around. Just keep an eye on all social media channels and you'll find out when the next edition of Film War is coming. But until then, thank you very much for watching. I've been Ian Bolton, joined as always by Christian R. Allen. Stay safe. Again. Stay safe. Enjoy your films. Keep it cinematic. And party on, dudes. Be excellent to each other. Shall we do the guitar thing? (laughs) (laughs) Adios.